In 2005, it is said that the average household spent $870 in Christmas gifts. That amount, of course, is expected to rise. In fact, they had said that in 2020, $1,500 per household uh, has almost doubled since 2005. And that amount, of course, is going to a lot of times be charged in many cases. Uh, One study I read on the average American spends six months every year paying off Christmas and the gifts that people give. Uh, I recently uh, heard uh, a little rendition from Jingle Bells dashing through the mall on a late December day. Through the stores we go, charging all the way. Ching, 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 bells on registers ring, making checkbooks light. Oh, what fun it is to buy everything in sight. I I don't know if that's the case with your home, but a lot of times it's up to the wife to go get the Christmas gifts. Um, uh, Someone, a husband wrote this. He wrote, the wife is shopping for Christmas gifts with purchases small and large. She does not believe in Santa, but she does believe in master charge. And so I, I don't know. If that's the case of your home, uh, I think it's interesting when we have an opportunity to give gifts away. And I don't know if you've ever watched the Waltons Christmas, but I would recommend that, that you would understand a little bit more that people want you to be there with them more than they want the gifts. And we decided that we were going to uh, make our gifts again this year, and that's already underway uh, for the Howells, we don't have celebration until the 1st of, of January, and so we can get through the Christmas season and still work a little bit on our gifts. But it really is important that we understand that probably the greatest gift that we have, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's also each other. Um, at Christmas time, it is time for us to gather. And if you have canceled Christmas, I hope you would reconsider and that you would have time with one another. There are people that are in our church that would love to just gather with family, but there is no family to gather with. And so you that have families, I would say, if if possible, uh, you need to make that decision and to gather together to worship our Lord on Christmas Day. And remember, too, that it's, it's his birthday that we're celebrating, not for us. Someone wrote a poem concerning it. It said, suppose it were your birthday and all your friends would come and gather around the fireplace there in your happy home. They come with smiles and gladness and bring their presents, too. But when they start to share them, there's not one for you. They give them to each other in a grand costly lot, but the guest of honor They somehow just forgot. You say things don't happen, nor should it ever be. It seems too cruel to cruel for folks like you and me. But friends, you have considered just this is what men do. Not, of course, to humans, but to our own Lord, it is true. We celebrate his birthday with all the pomp and style, but give to another and grieve him all the while. Tis Christ we claim to honor at glad Christmas time, don't spend on friends the dollars and give him just a dime. To give to one another indeed is very nice, but best of all to Jesus. For him, let's sacrifice. 
His cause too long has suffered by thoughtless, selfish men. Let's bring to Christ the first fruits and give our best to him. So if there's anyone really that would deserve a Christmas gift, I really believe it would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think, first of all, he doesn't really want your money. He wants your faith. And he wants you. He wants you to think about him. I think that going into this particular season, we're pretty fortunate because there is going to be tomorrow night a reminder of this particular story in the skies. And many of you have already had an opportunity to hear about it, perhaps through social media or through the news, but there is going to have be the Bethlehem Star. We watched Wednesday night a little small documentary on it, and if you want to have that or look at it, we have it in the office. You can watch it right now. It's one of the people's, uh, one of our deacons has it right now. And uh, when it comes back, you can check it out and watch it also. It is dealing with the Bethlehem Star and how everything lines up for the birth of Jesus over 2,000 years ago. But it's been 800 and some years since that particular star has shined like this, and it's going to shine tomorrow night. We look at the, the, the scriptures in Matthew chapter 2 and read of the account. It's interesting if we look at chapter 2 of Luke, because Luke gives us an understanding of, of the truth of the shepherds. In Matthew chapter 2, he gives us not just Jewish shepherds, but... Uh, he would give us Gentile scientists to be able to follow the star, and at the end of their journey, they find the Messiah. And so talk about follow the science. Hello, follow it to Jesus Christ, because he is the God of the science. He is overall. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in the scriptures, it's very clear that we look at this and understand that there is wise men that are still, and I really believe the Bible talks uh, uh, literally that there was a star in the sky, and this was pointing to Isaiah 60, verse number 3, where the Gentiles shall come to that light. These men were coming, but they also were bearing gifts to give to the Lord Jesus Christ. And many people believe that these wise men were Persian uh, that would mean that they were from Iran, and some of them think that they were from Iraq, perhaps, that they were left behind from the school of Daniel, that during the Babylonian Empire, that Daniel was left there to continue on to have a school of, of people that were wise, and they are sometimes called the magi and, and, uh, or wise men, and they would have been skilled in philosophy and medicine and natural science, and they would have been greatly interested in astrology, I'm sure, but this was the reason why that they were so interested in the Christ child and in the star that was in the skies. And as we look at the wise men, we see in verse number 11, if you look at your Bible, and when they were come into the house, they saw. Now, they saw is also mentioned in verse number 9, where it says that which they saw in the east in verse number 10. And when they saw the star, so I believe they literally saw a star in the sky, and God was directing them to the Messiah. And it says in verse number 11, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary the mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Maybe you write in your Bible, I don't know. But it would be good to circle the word gold and then write the word royalty next to it. 
because it seems like that was fit for him to have gold. The word frankincense, that points to his divinity, if you would. And the word myrrh points to his humanity. And so we see, of course, the understanding of this helps us know that these men presented them gifts and presented the gifts to the Lord Jesus Christ. I would like for you to understand that there is the gift of the Lord, the gift that just continues to give. But these gifts then that they gave him also continues to give. I think the first gift really would be the gift of his lordship, if you would, that royalty gold was a gift that was fit for a king. In fact, the writings in Persia speak of that understanding where these wise men were commonly believed to be from. It was custom for them to approach the king and to give him gifts, but that gift would be then of gold. And the king's, uh, it was the king of all metals, and it was fitted for the king of kings also. But these wise men recognized that the child that they presented gifts to was the king. Look at what it says in verses 1 and 2 with me, if you would. Read in your Bibles. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? It was a question. Where is the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So they recognized him as being king. They had a reverence for the Lord Jesus Christ. They were on a mission. And so I would just submit to you, the the, the, the fitting gift for Jesus is lordship of your life. I think, first of all, there needs to be an acknowledgement that he is the Lord. If we were to look in the scriptures, we would find the word God in the book of Genesis, chapter 1. In chapter 2, it, it changes from not only God, who he created, but it changes to Lord God. And so after the creation of everything, he becomes Lord God. He is the Lord God over all. He is the Lord God over your life. He is the Lord God over my life. He is the God of the circumstances, if you would. And he is the one to look to through difficult times. And when your plans seem to end, remember that God's purpose is greater than your plan. Remember that, that God knows what he's doing and he's on the throne and we must submit to his purpose over our plan. And sometimes we need to change things. We understand that. But we need to acknowledge, of course, the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as the wise men acknowledge and recognize that Jesus was the king of the Jews, there is a personal recognition and acknowledgement that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And do you this Christmas season recognize him as the king? A lot of times we look at him as being the baby in the manger and he was born in Bethlehem, but he is the king and he rules. Matthew chapter 27, verse 37. And there was placed on his cross the inscription that read, Jesus is the king. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. In first, in John chapter 1, verse number 49, Nathaniel said, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. And we read also in John 12, verse number 13, that when he entered into Jerusalem, that they took branches and, and palm trees and went forth to meet and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. 
Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 17, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He also said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 15, that He is the blessed, the only potentate. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we know in Revelation, it mentions this also to understand that it says that they will sing a song of Moses, the servant of God, and they, and the song of the Lamb saying, great and marvelous are thy works, the Lord God almighty, just and, and true are, are thy ways, the King of the saints. The Bible says also in Revelation 17, verse number 14, these shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. In Revelation 19, verse number 16, the Bible says, and He hath on a vesture, and on His thigh were the names written, King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we need, we need to acknowledge Him, but not only acknowledge because I don't think that's good enough, and I don't think that's going far enough just to acknowledge that He is Lord. I think there needs to be an acceptance of that, that we accept that He is Lord, and maybe your life isn't going the way you thought it needed to go. You don't understand what God is doing, and you say, well, I'm upset, or I'm going through a difficult time, and remember that God is in complete control, and He knows what He's doing, and you acknowledge Him as Lord, and now you need to accept Him and submit to Him as the Lord. A lot of times we have our own desires and our own ways. We must trust our Lord. Oh, listen, he's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our worship this morning. Have you accepted him as his lordship? Have you accepted him as Lord over all? Has there ever been a time where you've bowed your head down so deep like Thomas and say, Lord and my God. Uh, have you come to the place where Philippians chapter 2 says that the name of the Lord Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God? Since he is Lord, each of us should bow down to his feet and come lowly in spirit to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And these wise men came from the east and they journeyed afar and they laid down what they had to give to him. They accepted him as Lord over all. In verses 5 and 6, it says in the text, it says, And they said unto him, In Bethlehem, Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, That thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not thou least among the princes of Judah? It's talking about cities when it's talking about princes. He's talking about how insignificant that perhaps Bethlehem might be because of population, because of access and so on. But Bethlehem was worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ to be born. And we look, think about the insignificance, but that's what God uses, by the way. He uses that which is simple and plain. But it's interesting when we think about this particular prophecy that's mentioned here, underlined is the word rule. And as the king, he is the ruler of all. To accept his lordship is to submit your life to his authority and his ruleship. In days of old champagne, of course, Charlemagne, I mean, said he was crowned emperor of the Holy Empire on Christmas Day. And William, of course, the conqueror, was crowned king of England on Christmas Day. And should not every Christian crown Jesus, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords on Christmas Day? 
I love what S.M. Lockridge's wrote years ago, and many of you get to see it and you hear it on social media around Easter time and around the Resurrection Sunday and how that he mentions him at King. And he titled it, That's My King, and you might have seen it and you might have heard it and everything's pointing to the Lord as being the King. And of course, in that particular sermon, he brings out seven ways, of course, that he is king, and he's the king of the Jews. That's the ethnic king. He's the king of Israel. That's the national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And then he goes on to say, that's my king. And my question to you this morning, is that your king? Is Jesus Christ your king? Have you made him the king over and lord over your life? It's super simple, by the way. He's desiring you. He's been doing it since you were born. He's been calling you to come to Him. Come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come. Come to Him. His arms are wide open. He goes on to talk about, well, I wonder if you know Him. Do you know Him? Don't try to mislead me, he says. Do you know my King? David said that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament show His handiwork. My king is the only one of whom there are no means of measure that can define his limitless love. And no far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline and the shores of his supply. And no barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. And by the way, he doesn't change. Even though time goes on, it is the same God that you trusted years ago that will help you through this difficult time also. Oh, it was so easy to trust him in the beginning when everything was fresh and new and your relationship was alive. And now, sometimes we struggle, but he's still the same. Longing for you more than you long for him. He stays faithful, consistent, full of mercy, never changing. I love the way he brings this out. He goes on to say he's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried, and he sympathizes and he saves. He's the almighty God who guides and keeps all of his people. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leper. He forgives the sinner. He discharges the debts, and he delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. And he blesses the young, he serves the unfortunate, and he regards the aged, and he rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek, and that's my king. His office is manifold, his promise is sure, his light is matchless, his goodness is limited, is limitless, his mercy is everlasting, his love never changes, his word is enough. His grace is sufficient, and his reign is righteous. And he goes on to say that you can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. And the Pharisees could, couldn't stand him, and they found out that they couldn't stop him. And Pilate couldn't find any fault in him, and the witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree about him, and Herod couldn't kill him, and death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him, and that's my king. I hope he's your king. He's always been and always will be. 
and he's desiring to reach out to you today, I think it's important for us to understand that he's worthy of that lordship. What did you bring him? I just brought him a little gold. I'm going to lay it down at his feet, little small baby feet. Perhaps he was two or three years old. But here they are giving him the gold because they knew that he was Lord over all. Follow the science and you'll find the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you'll find the gift that will keep on giving in your life. And you'll find that sometimes things wear out. The gifts that we give away get old. But the gift that God has given to us will never age. Always fresh. Always new. He gave us his dear son, Jesus. There's nothing like singing Christmas songs. There's nothing like looking to Jesus this time of year. I love Christmas season. It's amazing to me because a lot of people don't even really realize what they're doing. I haven't had a chance to go look at Christmas lights. I I want to. I want to just go out and drive around sometime and see the lights. I guess they're beautiful in Cottage Grove. A lot of people have put the lights out in your neighborhood. How many put lights out? Raise your hand. That's pretty good. Two of you. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you are kind of like undercover raising your hand. What did you do today? I raised my hand in church. Did you go forward then? No. But I love Christmas. But I love the reason better. Ever since I was a little boy, Christmas time was always fun. But I think my Christmases really developed when I gave Jesus everything. I don't know how many years ago it's been. It was 1990, so we could figure it out in the math. How many years has it been since 1990? That's a long time. It's when I said, here it is, Lord, everything. And the Christmases were better then, Lord. Oh, I made him my Savior when I was eight years old, but I decided to go a little further when I was 28. I decided to say, here, Lord, here's everything. I don't have really anything to offer, but I want to give to you my life. Not just my heart, my whole body and everything. It's important for us to remember that it's important that gold was given because it shows his lordship. But it goes even further than that. Secondary, you'll notice in verse number 11, the wise men not only presented him gold, but also also presented to him frankincense. And that's the gift of fellowship. Gold was the gift for the king, of course, and frankincense was the gift for the priest. Frankincense was used in the temple to worship him and for the temple sacrifices, and frankincense was a sweet perfume that rose up to God in the sweet-smelling savor. It was a symbol in the Bible for our prayers and our worship ascending to God. It symbolizes the time we spend in fellowship with the Lord 
and then praising him even at times when we wake up at night and we go into our favorite chair and we open up the Bible or we go to the table and we sit down and we open up the verses and we begin to read to come and to worship him. When we were in our home years ago, I remember getting my Bible and just kind of couldn't wait to get to that special chair and it's not too far away from the wood stove. What you doing? I'm getting the wood stove stoked a little bit. I'll come to bed in a little while. I got my Bible on my lap with in a warm place in my favorite chair. Me and God are having a little time of worship. And you know what I'm talking about. We worship him in spirit and in truth. And this is what he desires. I think first the Lord desires our worship, period. Remember when he was dealing with the woman at the well, and it was very clear in John chapter 4, verse number 23, but the hour comes. And now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. And so if there's a gift that you want to give to him today, give him the gift of worship. How do I do that? You seek him. And by the way, if you seek him, you'll find him. And if you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. What do we mean by worship? A.W. Tozer wrote these words, Worship is to feel in your heart and express in some appropriate manner a humbling sense of admiring awe and astonished wonder, of overpowering love in the presence of the most ancient mystery, that majesty which philosophers call the first cause but which we call our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. J. Oswald Sanders went on to say that worship is the loving inscription of praise to God for what he is in himself and in his providential dealings. It is the bowing of our innermost spirit before him in deepest humility and reverence. Worship is the adoring contemplation of God as he has been pleased to reveal himself in his son and in the scriptures. Someone else said that worship is the total adoring response of man to one eternal God self-revealed in time. Worship is responding to who God is and what he has done with a heart full of praise and thanksgiving. God seeks those who will praise him. He seeks those that will worship him. And then may I secondly say that the Lord deserves our worship. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think about Hannah in the Old Testament and how she worshiped him. Didn't really care what people thought about her. In fact, I think in Hannah's prayer alone, I want to read it to you, gives us the idea of worship. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse number 1, and Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, and my mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceedingly proud. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. 
And the bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumble are girded with strength. They that are full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased, and so that the barren hath borne seven. She that hath many children is waxed feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive, and he brings down to the grave and brings up again. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He raises up the poor out of the dust, and he lifts up the beggar from the dunghill and sets them among the princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them, and he will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail." And the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces out of the heavens, shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto the king and exalt the horns of his anointed. And so in Hannah's prayer, of course, she's occupied with how wonderful God is and what the Lord has done. And our God is great and glorious. He is deserving of course, our worship. Many songs talk about it. Maybe perhaps you've never come to the place where you've said, Lord, you are everything I need. And you're great. I love the song, How Great Thou Art. Don't you? Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder Consider all the worlds thy hand hath made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. I love it where it says, Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. How great. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. I think about Psalm 8 when I think of God's goodness and God's greatness. It's interesting, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, and the moon and the stars which thou hast made, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? He has put all things under his feet, sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Christmas, why do we have it? Because of Jesus. We worship him. We accept him. We acknowledge him. He mentions the stars, of course, in here. And I could go on and on about his goodness and his greatness, but I believe he is worthy of our fellowship. Do you have fellowship with him? Maybe there's been a time where you know that your relationship with God was really, really close and good. And you walked with him. You read the scriptures and they made sense to you. Maybe because of circumstances today, you've drifted away from the Lord. And now you're not in fellowship with him. Dear friend, let me tell you something. Religion is not being in fellowship with God. Religion makes you work It makes you think that you have to follow a law to have fellowship with him. No. The law shows us that we need him. We we, we break the law every day. We we are human. 
we, we never, ever really meet the mark. We never are able to be what we should be. But with God's grace and God's goodness, we can trust the Lord Jesus Christ to hit the mark. And so we put our faith and our trust completely in him because he's good enough and we're not. Religion is different than having a relationship with God. Do you have a relationship with God? It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. Going to church is a good thing, but walking with God every day is better. And he desires for you to walk with him. And I'm so thankful that all my days I can walk with him. I talked to my dad just yesterday. He's going to be 83, I believe. Uh, He worked hard his whole life. Dealt with a lot of things in his life. Maybe he's watching today. We tried to get him a smartphone. The word try is the most important word in that sentence. (laughs) He took it back. So we had another son and asked him, would you please help me with a cell phone, a smartphone? And so he tried too. And now we're both done trying. My dad has been a trial in the trying. And if he's watching me, I love you, Dad. Well, you should get a smartphone and help us help you. But I think when it comes to this understanding of age that God will walk with you, my dad is a good example of somebody who had a rough life and difficulties and I was talking to him a little bit about it. When did you get saved, Dad? Well, I got saved in Mount Ida Baptist Church by an old oak tree that's gone now. But I came out and I I got under that tree and a deacon led me to Christ. Um, A a deacon led me to Christ and, and then he said years ago, Faith Baptist Church on Monona, your mother and I went in. She had gotten saved because of a Billy Graham crusade. And so they both walked into this Baptist church on Monona Drive, and they were baptized right over here. Now it's called Monona Oaks, and my mom and dad were both. And he was talking about it. And you know what I could sense? That my dad was broken over his salvation. He's been through a lot of things. But guess what? My God is still walking with him even though he's gone through some difficult times and some times of barrenness, perhaps, or some times of difficult. God is there. And lastly, we see the myrrh. Interesting to bring to us a gift. It's the gift, really, of sonship. It's the human part. Myrrh was used to embalm bodies for the dead. What a strange gift to give a newborn baby, myrrh. And it was a fitting gift to give the Lord Jesus because, you see, Jesus was was born for one purpose, and that was to die. I should say that there were more purposes, but that was the main purpose, that, that he would come and he would feel like you feel, he would hunger like you hunger, he would hurt like you hurt, he would be rejected like you've been rejected. He, he came to feel that so that he could help you during your times of despair. And he came to save one man who now cannot think properly, 
who's struggling with Alzheimer's disease, wrote, Born to Die Upon Calvary. God used Ron Hamilton and is still using him. He's very weak right now. But he wrote one night. He got his pen and he wrote, On the night Christ was born just before the break of morn, as the stars in the sky were fading or the place where he lay, fell a shadow, cold and gray, of a cross that would humble a king. And Jesus knew when he came he would suffer in shame. He could feel every pain and sorrow. But he left paradise. With his blood he paid the price. My redemption to Jesus I owe. From his throne Jesus came and laid aside heaven's fame in exchange for the cross of Calvary. For my gain suffered loss. For my sin he bore the cross. He was wounded and I was set free. Dearest Lord, evermore may thy cross I adore as I follow the path to Calvary. And of thy death I partake, my ambition I forsake, and all my will I surrender to thee. Born to die upon Calvary, Jesus suffered my sin to forgive. Born to die upon Calvary, he was wounded that I might live. Myrrh. Interesting. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So this gift, really, we are reminded that Jesus is our provider, Savior. He is not just our Savior. He is our provider, Savior. The Bible says in Matthew 1.21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. And that's really the reason for the season. The Lord Jesus Christ, born in a stable, his mother a virgin. He was raised in a carpenter shop. His parents were poor. His people were slaves. His friends were a lowly lot. His chances in life were very slim. He expected to be a slave, but people in darkness needed him. And they saw the light in him and the hope of freedom he gave. And so this Jesus is called the Alpha and the Omega. He is the anointed one. He is the author of your life. He is the author of life, period. He is the bright and morning star. He is the day star. He is the everlasting father. He is the good shepherd. He is thy I am. He is the king of kings. He is the lamb of God. He is the lion of Judah. He is the mighty God. He is the Nazarene. He's the prince of peace. He's the rabbi, but he's the root of Jesse and the son of David, the son of God, the son of man. He's the true vine, and he is wonderful, and he is the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. Just a few words that describe him, the one so lowly there in the manger. And the last question I must ask you, is Jesus your personal savior? He is not just a Savior, he's my Savior. Can you say that, Jesus, my Savior? Can you say that to others and say, Jesus can be your Savior? Come to him this day and let him become your personal 
Savior. And so do you have on your Christmas list, do you plan on giving Jesus anything? Give him lordship. Give him fellowship. And remember the sonship. And I think you'll have one of the best Christmases you've ever had. My second son was in Iraq, and I think he took two tours there. And it was Christmas time, and we were hoping that he'd be able to come home. His name is Andrew. My boys spell Jack, Joshua, Andrew, Caleb with a C, and then Curtis with a K. And Josh and Curtis are here. My bookends are here this morning. And I think it's interesting as you think about Andrew being overseas and then wanting him home. We were asking the Lord to bring him home. He got stuck in Germany for a while. Remember those days, Tammy, we were wondering if we were going to see him. I got to see him, went to him. I put my arms around him, and I gave him the biggest hug. Let me tell you something. That was my best, one of my best Christmas gifts, was to put my arms around my boy when he got back from Iraq. There are many families like that today. Christmas, what it's all, what's it all about? It's about Jesus Christ, yes, but it's about family. It's about loving. It's about giving that gift back to God. And remember that his gift is a gift that will just keep on giving. And I got saved 51 years ago. Almost 52 years ago I got saved. And he just keeps giving and giving and giving. Don't you think I need to give back a little bit? Huh? Don't you think we need to start giving him a little more in the area of fellowship? Huh? I think so. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I don't know where you're at spiritually today, but I know the beautiful story of Christmas is upon us. Maybe this, maybe this Sunday would be the Sunday that you would trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe the Lord is working in you. And I want to encourage you that it doesn't take a church to lead you to him. His spirit leads you to him. It doesn't take an invitation. His spirit has already been working in you and drawing you to himself. God is interested in you coming to him. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I've, I've never thought about it that way before but I've never made him Lord of my life. I've never made him my Savior. I know who Jesus is because I've been singing about him, but I've never accepted him. All those that have received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of man, sons of God. And maybe right now you would say, Lord, I open my heart for you. I open my heart and I accept you. I believe you. And maybe that would be your prayer today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe there's some, somebody here today that would say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? Because I've never done that, but I want to do that. I won't point you out. I won't come visit you. I won't see you. Uh, maybe after the service, I'll talk to you a little bit. But Maybe you'd say, Pastor, I, I know who Jesus is, but I've never opened my heart to him but I need to do that. Is there anyone like that this morning that say, 
Would you pray for me, Pastor? Is there anyone? Just lift up your hand and put it back down again. Real quick, up and then back down again. Is there anyone here today? I need Jesus Christ. Then, Christian, this message was for you. It was for you to continue to yield to God. Maybe it was just pulling you back a little bit more to where God desires you to be. And this is an old-fashioned church. We still have altar calls. And the altar is going to be open for you Sunday before Christmas. And maybe you just need to come and kneel down and say, Here I am, Lord. I am presenting a present. I'm presenting myself to you. And why don't you come? Kneel down and maybe you just need to pray. Why don't you come? It'll be open for you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you stand right where you are? No one looking around this morning. Why don't you come? If you need to. I'm going to pray and as soon as I'm done, the invitation will begin. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.